Hello and welcome to Utabia Terrier. My name's David Hartrick. I am not Stephen Chicken, who usually hosts. I am hosting this week. I have taken over, so we're going to make some changes, Stephen. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. What kind of changes do you have in mind, David? Uh, well, question number one, uh, your top 15 Batman event comics. And yes, I know what the listeners are thinking. I am going to let him have Batman R.I.P. and Batman and Robin separately, even though they are part of the Morrison run. Uh, well... I'm not so good on Batman, to be honest. This is much more your territory. I know about the Bantams. Is that related? No, it's a shame, because if you'd have got through that, I had 15 questions on wrestling for you, but we'll have to talk about Huddersfield Town instead. Um, <sighs> oh, is it is it too late to say Under the Red Hood? It is too late, and that's a dreadful comic, to be fair. I like the Red Hood as a character. Let's not get into this, or I will talk about it for an hour. <laughs> Um, we've got a slightly different format. Apologies for that noise you just heard. That was me knocking a load of stuff off my desk. Um, very shoddy hosting so far, if I'm honest. Very, very shoddy. This, this is, is why, why I normally do, do it. Yeah, yeah this is why yeah. you do it. Um, but as it's the international break, one of the reasons I'm hosting is because we are doing a QA. and um, We've got lots to run through. We've had quite a big response. We're going to try and get through as many as we possibly can. I've, I've got them. I think I've got pretty much all of them in front of me or all that I saw. Um, so forgive me if I've missed someone somewhere or if I don't mention your name correctly, but we're just going to tank on because, as I said, if, we got... If we've missed you, it's because we've got you muted on Twitter because you've annoyed us at some point. Stephen, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is exactly the truth. Right, um, I'm going to save... We've got one question that's been asked quite a lot, so I'm going to save that till the end i think which would be fair enough to do so you'll know the question when we come to it i've got about six people that i need to mention so there's a few that we can't sort of comment on but we will give very brief answers on so i'm gonna start with one that is is sort of like that really Stephen, and that is from uh at andrews lavid on twitter which just says future ownership is there a plan yeah i mean dean hoyle is is in takeover talks he's you know in discussions about buying the remaining 75 percent share of the club as we've reported uh he's you know he's in it for the long term he's there, there were reports in the daily mail i've really this month or last month claiming that he was going to look for a, a, a quick sale and that he was going to flip the club but i believe nothing could be further from the truth he believes the club needs stability at this stage and that's his intention is, is take over the club which might take a while as we talked about before and as we reported when uh, when it came out that that Dean was in discussions to buy the rest of the club back from Phil Hodgkinson you know these things do take time there's yeah. lots of red tape that needs to go through third party authorizations like the FL etc um, that they need to go through but uh, it is in process uh, I don't think anyone sees any reason why it won't go through uh, and That'll be Dean Hoyle as 100% owner for the foreseeable future, basically. Mm. Just to touch on that briefly before we move on, I think don't worry about the timescale because you have to understand Mm. there's things that me and Steve have learned fairly recently that have to happen. It has to go through various third parties. Essentially, you have to prove 
you're credit worthy to cover match days. You have to do all sorts. And a lot of it is out of Dean Hoyle's control. So he's basically on other people's timescales for yeah, a lot of which it. Which we, we know that he is because he was, you know, he was the owner for, for 10 years. But I think you're right. Like the materially, it, it makes no difference because Dean Hoyle's been back at the club effectively running it since mm. November. Um, and that will continue to be the case. He's already 25% owner. He can put money in. We know that he has put money in. We know that he's obviously is already the interim chief exec. Phil Hodgkinson's already resigned from the board. So the the takeover, although obviously it's significant when it goes through, sort of legally and, and in all of those kinds of things, in terms of the actual day-to-day running, it actually isn't going to make a lot of difference to what we've seen over the past sort of five months or so. Um, next question, at Lee Kennedy 23. I hope he knows the other 21 Kennedys, Lee Kennedys. Um, <laughs> will we ever play on a Saturday afternoon again? I'm going to answer that. No, never. <laughs> Well, the final day of the season won't be moved, but that's a, uh, a lunchtime kickoff, isn't it? it not is. a, a not a three pm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the Coventry game is the only one I standing. I, 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 they don't announce the TV um, picks for that weekend until the 9th of April. So there is a good chance that game could get moved as well, depending how Towns next three go I would say so there is quite feasibly a world where that gets moved as well mm. um, but I had, I had a Leeds fan or two in my mentions saying mm. this is what we had for years particularly under Bielsa <laughs> like yeah and I suppose you can I suppose in a way you can take it as a compliment I get why fans get upset by this it, you know particularly if you've got young kids you can't come to the game it sort of it disrupts your routine uh, if you have plans for a Saturday 3pm kickoff I think the flip side though Dave I mean you, you looked at the numbers on it it does uh, it does put a bit of extra money into the cl- yeah. club coffers as well each game that gets picked well this is it I mean they, they've already been on TV a lot since the new year they're going to get about 320,000 from the game the next five games um, and these are it's vital money really because um, you got to understand that football clubs are not immune to things like energy prices going up through the roof etc etc mm. and this these sort of this little bonus windfall it is frustrating and annoying and i completely share that with a lot of the fans um you you don't like your uh, saturday lunchtime and friday night kickoff side no do. no i don't i mean i we won't get into it here because it's not the forum but i don't think the the saturday afternoon embargo should exist anymore and I think if they could put a couple of games on TV at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon I think it might actually Mm. stop them moving around all these games to weird times and I think if you're a Premier League club you kind of expect it but in the Championship I think they really do take the mick with some teams but the money is vital, Steve. You get to to break it down just a little bit for anybody who didn't read the article. You you get a hundred grand as the home team. You get ten grand as the away team, and there are the the finer detail is a bit mucky, but there is a little bit more on top depending what time slot you're playing in and various other things. So it is it is effectively money that town haven't had before because i think the only late season game they had on last season was was it the west brom game that was that's no, right um so that was a that was the prior season the prior yeah. season so you know town will have earned more from tv this season than they've earned in any season since they've been back in the championship so it is what it is unfortunately um rob o'connell who is rob underscore oco 10 uh, on twitter 
The post-Johnny Hogg era is approaching rapidly. Do you have any thoughts on potential race replacements? Andy Rinnenhoter of uh, Reading is one that springs to mind. Please don't say Scott High. <laughs> I think Carlos sees Scott High as a, a number eight. I think if if I he's got, I think we do too as well. To be fair, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he did come through the academy as a six, but I think in the in the championship, he's you know he's he's really upped his game in terms of his energy, etc. So I think maybe long term they're looking at him as a uh, one of. The replacements for Lewis O'Brien because I don't think you can replace Lewis O'Brien with just one player. No, nope. I know you have an answer for the hockey one though, Dave. So I'll mm. let you take this one. Well, my answer remains what it's always been, which is I I think Oliver Rathbone is um, he is half a six, half an eight because he's a very high energy player. Um, he's capable of doing either role, but he's super aggressive. He's he's he reminds me of a, of a young Jonathan Hogg. <laughs> you know, he's he's got that same sort of drive. He's a bit more forward-thinking. Um, he's quite, you know, he's obviously not as good. But if you were to make a comparison, he's quite Skulls and Lampard-esque in his late runs into the box. And he does enjoy that aspect more than Hogg does, it would be fair to say. But I think the problem is with Rathbone, and I think the secret's kind of out. And I think he's a level of money that... I'm not sure Town would be willing to pay at the moment. I th- I think, just to go on from that slightly, we we both feel that we've, we've started to throw forward as we have to to the summer, and we both feel that th- this question is probably exactly right, that they really need to get Hoggy's replacement in while Hoggy is still at the club, don't they? Yeah, yeah I think it's a protection thing. If, uh, if the mood doesn't work out, you've still got Hoggy there. You know, he's he's going to be what will he be next year? Thirty four next year. So got persistent persistent injury as well. You know, yeah, just because of the nature of his game, etc. And he still has a part to play. I would still expect John to play sort of twenty games next season at least. But I think if you can sort of get a player in who can share the duties with him and and that you can phase into that role, because obviously we know that you look at someone like Ollie Turton, for instance, and didn't have a stellar start in the championship, but now he's you know he's hit his stride and he's doing well. I think you need to account if you particularly if you're getting a player from sort of League One, League Two, you need to account for a bit of time to to get up to speed, particularly in that position. So having Hoggy there would be very useful. Um, but yeah, I, I would put that as one of my top priorities for this summer because he's got one year left on his contract, and I know they can take another year if they want to. But I think looking for someone who can play that number six role and I don't think it's Alex Vallejo unfortunately uh, whose year they've already taken and who's out out of contract this summer now so Mm. yeah I think doing it while Hoggy's at the club also allows you to do it a different way as well I think Ollie Rathbone is a player who wants to come into the championship and play 40 games I think if you do it whilst Hogg is there, you can afford somebody that you need to bring through a little bit and develop a little bit and is, yeah. is to be frank, a little bit cheaper. So I, I would suspect that the one they've got their eye on might be you know, another John Russell-esque signing that may come a little bit from nowhere but is can spend the season just being quietly quietly groomed and if they end up ahead of schedule like Russell did brilliant if they need a little bit more time then you've you've bought yourself the room to do that so um I'm gonna I've got a question here that I'm gonna answer for you Steve have either of you contacted the club yet for an interview with Dean Hoyle everything you can say on the record is on the record when there's more to say on the record he will tell us 
and that's really all it amounts to, isn't it? Yeah, he he, he doesn't particularly like being in the spotlight. Interviews with Dean Hoyle are quite rare. The, the, the one thing that he will sort of, going from previous years, that he will go on the record about is things like pedal for pounds you know he'll mm-hmm. he'll he'll do bits about that but for in terms of the running of the club the interviews are, are quite rare and it's sort of you know the club know there's a standard as with any sort of you know lee bromby or previously sort of mark devlin it sort of will never say no to talking to them it's sort of a standing mm-hmm. um invitation to to speak to him really um from uh dean smith who is dino who's dino's off 73 that's a decent name i quite like that (laughs) twitter names go uh with a view to next season assuming we don't get promoted who breaks into the first team from our b team also who moves to pastures new i think the second part of that question we might leave because i think we're actually going to do at some point towards the season's end, we will actually do a pod where we run through the squad and try and work out who who goes and who stays. Or certainly we'll do it at the end of one pod as a separate thing. So we're not ignoring your question there, Dean. But in terms of the B team, we've both had a good look at the B team this year. We have. I mean, there's, there's obvious ones. Obviously, Aaron Rowe has been on the fringes, but has been playing a lot of B team football this year because he had that injury that kept him out for sort of seven, eight months last year. Um, he was out sort of between May and, and December, so that's seven months. Uh, and obviously Scott High has been playing in there. Those are sort of the boring answers. Um, I think Pat Jones is quite close if he can get fit. He's also had a lot of similar injury to Aaron Rowe, actually, funnily enough. And he's been absolutely banging in goals when he when he plays. He has played for the first team before as well. He's uh, a real exciting talent. He's only, I think he's 18 now. Uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's a winger for those who aren't familiar. Welsh winger, absolute bags of pace, eye for goal can cross the ball as well I think he's got potential but it's it's fitness is the issue for him I quite like the look of Etienne Kamara and talking about longer term replacements for Jonathan Hogg I think he is in with a shout uh, he does dive into tackles a fair bit um, which he probably needs to get out of his game a bit when he plays senior football because he'll, he'll be getting red carded every week if he doesn't they're a bit more lenient in B team level um, and obviously Brahima Diara is the last few times I've seen Brahima, he's not been as good as when I saw him last season kind of thing. But he's a real sort of maverick player and has all the potential. I think it's just channeling it in the right directions with him because he can dribble past people for fun. He's a player who you can see just wants to have fun playing football. And I think it's just getting a bit of discipline into him uh, in in a positional sense uh, and, and sort of a decision-making sense sometimes. But he's got all the talent in his feet. Um, but I think the obvious one is Ramadi Edmonds-Green, who is mm-hmm. currently out on loan at, at Rotherham. I think he has the best chance of anyone of playing sort of regular first-team football next season because Levi Colwell, unfortunately, I don't think he'll be at the club. I think he'll be playing Premier League football one way or the other next season, uh, whether that's at Chelsea or whether they send him out again. And Naby Sars out of contract. I imagine he'll be going so... I think you're looking at Ramani Edmonds Green getting a an extended run in the side again potentially, uh, and I think that's a good thing because we we really like what we saw of him in a very difficult season last season. Yeah, I I sort of see Ramani potentially being the the fourth centre back next year. I I think yeah. if you're going to play with three again, then I can see Ramani being the one that immediately comes in the minute you need to change it or somebody gets injured. Um, I for my money, I think. The the thing with Diara 
you said was absolutely right. I think Etienne needs some league football to learn about league referees and I don't think the championship is probably the best environment for that. So I think he, he's one who probably needs a longer term loan um, to get ready because he's got bags of potential. I really, really like him. He just mm. needs some time on the pitch, really. I think Miles Bright needs to decide what he is really and how he fits into a Carlos Corbin team because Miles Bright is a real bag of tricks. He's he's very direct, loves taking a man on, got a trick in him, but he is a little bit about chaos and Carlos Corbran is a lot about control, so I don't know how that works. Jones, I think you mentioned, yeah, the only thing for me, for Jones, is he needs to be on the Josh Osterfield diet over the summer. Some people might not be aware, but Josh Osterfield over the summer just became a, a he just looks like a man <laughs> he just yeah, went from we, a boy to a man and which happens with some players yeah, at that age, doesn't it yeah. just naturally and pat jones as good as he is and every time you see him he's always somebody who stands out a mile um he does need a little bit of that because he's 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 going to get bullied out of championship games at, you know at any time soon and I just the only thing, one other one I'd mention on top of who you've mentioned is is my boy Brody, who <laughs> I don't think he'll come through next season. But Brody Spencer is Northern Irish uh, fullback and wing back, and I I just I really really like him. I just think he's got all the, I think he's he's got all the basics down. Um, he's very athletic. He's very quick. Um, as I said, I don't think he'll come through next season. I think he's a bit of a longer term project, and he's probably one who needs to go out on loan but if I was a League 2 boss and I needed a fullback, I would be asking if I could have Brody next season. Uh, yeah I mean he's only 17 yeah, as well so yeah. you know he's, he's one of the younger players in that B team and, and uh, yeah, every time we've seen him play he's caught the eye. And at 17 he plays like he's 21 <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. wonder at 21 if he's going to be playing like he's 28 and if he is he will be decent. So I think some people Dave before we move on will be saying what about Danny Grant and I think this season has been all about fitness for him, yeah. hasn't it? And I, I think he could probably, he's another one who could probably do with a loan to sort of League One, League Two next year, I think. Yeah, I'm going to be hand on heart honest. Every time I've seen Danny in the in the B team, he's looked a bit short to me. Um, he's not, and I don't mean short in height, he's just, he's looked a little bit short of fitness. I don't think I've seen him complete 90 minutes, Steve. I'll be honest with you. The caveat, I, I, I think I have. I, I've seen him whenever I've seen him at the stadium. I've agreed with mm. you. I've seen him play at Canal Side, and he's been a lot. That he's been better in the games I've seen at Canal Side. Um, the thing I would say is, is we won't go into all the details, but he had a horrendous time with COVID, and mm. believe me, I know from personal experience, you don't just shake it off. So I think at the moment you have to just give him the benefit of time, and I think. A full pre-season will go a long way with Danny Grant yeah. and we'll see where we are after that. Um, if this is Johnny G3617, uh, if the season ends without promotion, what are reasonable expectations for next year? How and where do you think the club can invest to mount back-to-back promotion pushes? I think it's all about who leaves, isn't it, for, for, to begin with and how much money they get for that. You know, if they can sell players for a player or two for several million pounds then I think that makes a a huge difference to what they're able to do but I think it's just you know they've got the nutrition side down you can see that I think we you know I spoke with Lee Nichols about that on the extra time show with the club on on YouTube if you want to check that out I think they put them out as podcasts as well so 
that's available but he was talking about you know how the the weight that he's lost this season and what a huge difference it's made and he's not the only player who's talked to us about that Matty Pearson as well Tom Lees uh, yeah Tom Lees and Matty and uh, and Sober Thomas has spoken to yeah. us about the fitness as well so that I think that sort of side is nailed down and we've seen that there's a real core group of players there who are used to Carlos Corbrand's system and his methods uh, I think we sort of have trust in Carlos Corbrand at this point to to keep going and keep taking the club forward uh he's he's really proven himself a huge amount this season uh after we had a lot of doubts last year and i think we can sort of now look at what's happened this year and look at the squad he had last year not so much the first team but the squad he had last year and go okay i think we can say that that's probably factor number one behind it all but i think it's yeah continuing to add to the playing squad continuing to sort of take the lessons from this year and and where they've needed players you know and i think it's looking at maybe uh, Danny Ward's had a fantastic season I would have him as my first choice striker next year as well obviously but I think a younger striker to come in uh, similar to, to what you've got with Hoggy in defensive midfield um, would go a long way and we'll we'll get onto this in a moment Dave The because the, I know that a million people have asked where you'd include the playing, playing squad but I think that genuinely is where they are at this point mm. uh, as for realistic expectations I mean I think after even if they were to fall short this season, and who knows what's going to happen over the final seven games, um, they've shown that they can mount a playoff push, and I think that has to be the goal for next season, if not automatic promotion. You know, and I'm not saying that's not me saying they're going to get automatic promotion next season, but that's me saying where do they set their goals? What do they set as their ambition? You always have to look to improve on what you've done in the season just gone. And I think if they are going to be ambitious, then they need to look at that as the the target. Yeah, I I think I think where I sit with this is that one you have to be realistic, but two you also have to look at a club who have been top ten for all but three match days this season, and two of them I think were week two and week three where no one looks at the table. So I think you can't realistically say okay well anything less is acceptable and that's not to say either me or Steve like we say thinks they're going to be promotion favourites definite candidates to go up next season but they have to be in the mix again that's the expectation realistically if they are you know if they're lower mid table it's not that that's not good enough but it will represent a drop off and that's where town are now and that's that's been earned this season by hard work, by the runs we've had, etc. There's a lot. There's a lot happened this season. There's a lot to review when we look back on it at the season's end. Um, and I think that reasonably, you can only really sort of say same again. If if Town finish seventh or eighth this season, or, and are there or thereabouts, really, that's probably got to be the expectation for next season because no one can realistically say. You know, we were seventh last season. We're hoping to be seventeenth this. It's just <laughs> yeah, not. It's exactly. just not how it works. In terms of where do you think the club can invest? I, I think that they've already proved that it's not about spending lots of money. It's about spending the right money in the right yeah. places. And I think without again, it's one of those questions where there's there's a very long answer, and we've got to get through an awful lot. But I I think you have to at the moment after two very good transfer windows after the things Steve's has mentioned about the um the sports science nutrition side how they've spent money off the pitch i think they've earned a bit of trust and i think you have to say mm-hmm. okay you know you may not go and spend 
six million quid over the summer on various players, but you're spending three million in the club. I believe it's going to help. I believe it's for the long term good, and that's that's where we are at the moment. So, and that's what Carlos Gorbrand's meant when he's said mm. the club have always supported me on everything I've wanted. You know, things like the nutritional side of things, or the fitness side of things, or whatever it might be. <clears throat> you know, if I believe that any request he's had on that front, the club have gone out and made it happen. And you know, I think Lee Bromby's obviously, you know, the, the heading that up. He's the head of football operations, which isn't just transfers. It is also so looking after that side of things and, and you know how they can help with training, how they can do better on the coaching side of things as well. And yeah, I think when you look at where they are this season and how they're doing compared with the past sort of two, three years, you have to give credits where it, where it's due really. Well, let's let's do that and let's go to Joseph McGregor's question. It's almost like I've planned this out, Steve. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't. It's literally just the next one on the page. Uh, if this year is a step in the club's progression, what is the single most important factor in that progression and what does the next step need to be or include? Yeah, I think single steps is the recruitment and that's not to say it's the only step, but I think if you're looking at yeah. the, the biggest step, it is the recruitment because you know that squad is so much stronger than it was last year. You asked the question, Dave, on last week's pod, is this the strongest bench town have Mm. have had and someone came back and said I think the last time we had a stronger one was in under Steve Bruce in 1920 so (laughs) I think I think even that answer sort of tells you something so you know the, the, the squad is so much better I think obviously as well you've got players that have developed under Carlos Corbran you know Sorba Thomas we liked sort of his energy and what he brought off the bench last season but I don't think any of us expected him to have the season he's had this year, um, you know, Matty Pearson is saying he's playing the best football of his career. Uh, Lee Nichols is saying he's playing the best football of his career. It's, you know, Lewis O'Brien always says he feels like he's getting better year on year. Dwayne Holmes feels he's having a, a good season and that he's sort of reaching the levels he was at in his previous best season, which was with, uh, his first year at Derby. Uh, there's a lot of players in that squad who feel like they're playing their best football. I think there's one or two who aren't <laughs> as well. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking of you know Josh Caroma and you know for various reasons different circumstances obviously but Pippa hasn't been at his best I think we've said before that we feel Harry Toffolo's had better seasons as well although you know it's not like he's a million miles off um like like the other two but I think by and large we've seen a lot of players who have developed we've talked about Ollie Turton and Danny Ward to death as well you know we we could almost make a list of the players who we think have improved this season Mm compared with where they were previously and not just sort of last season but previously in their careers I think those two things obviously go hand in hand and I think that in a very literal sense well not in a literal sense but they they go hand in hand in more ways than one because you you also want to recruit for players who you think you can improve that's the whole reason that you sign what they see as a super coach in Carlos Gorbran and they've said this from day one is it allows them to sign players who other clubs wouldn't consider because they can see that there's room for improvement in them, whereas other clubs might just look at what are they right now. Uh, They won't think about what are they going to be in six, 12 months' time. So I think it all sort of comes together, but if you ask me for one factor, I think the recruitment has to be it. 
And what do you think the next step has to include? Um, I think it's... We talked about when we talked about the Jonathan Hogg replacements, we were talking about sort of League One, League Two players. I think it's maybe now a case of looking at whether they can get more sort of established championship players Mm -hmm. in. And they've had a few, to be fair. You know, Danny Ward, Matty Pearson, Tom Lees all sort of fit that mould. And they've been excellent at the recruitment from lower leagues with Harry Toffolo, Zorba Thomas, Josh Caroma, etc., uh, but I think if they can, particularly, to be honest, for attacking positions, I think um, if you can sign players that have established championship pedigree, it can make a, a big difference. And particularly in sort of, you know, your January windows, I think it allows you to have sort of a more immediate impact in the transfer market when you need it rather than. And I think it's great to look at signings for what they can do in six months, 12 months two three years more clubs should be doing that it's great that Huddersfield Town are doing that but I think there are times when they need more of an immediate hit and I think that is maybe something they can they can improve on although obviously as I say defensively they've they've nailed it this year so um for me I think the this is not damning with faint praise and I'm not I'm I'm genuinely not trying to do this I think this is a huge thing but I think that being a competently run football club off the pitch and a competently managed team on the pitch this year takes you a hell of a long way in the championship and I think next year could well do the same. It is a bonkers league. There are teams whose wage bills are over 200% of their total turnover. There are clubs who are... (laughs) There's a couple of clubs whose training grounds have players still getting uh, changed in porter cabins and there's other clubs who are set up for the Premier League and have Premier League outgoings and are still playing in the Championship. It's crazy. And I think for me, the single biggest factor in where they are now is long-term planning. You know, I I, I think some people will grimace at this, but I think Phil Hodgkinson needs a bit of praise because the frugality, the frugality they uh, decided upon to plot a course through COVID has served them and we did say last season Steve there was a world where they came out of it weirdly better than a lot of clubs and I think we are in that world because there are a lot of clubs Mm. who are have very very unbalanced squads have big balance sheets who have lots of issues to sort and town have just plotted their way through very sensibly and I think they're a year ahead of it aren't they basically that that's where that is sorry to derail you that is where I slightly worry about next season because it's whether other clubs are now going to be yeah, have had that year of pain themselves and yeah, going to that, be in the better place. That's the thing. I think being a competently run and competently managed club next season takes you a long way in terms of I don't think you'll be anywhere near the relegation shake-up. That's, that's the reality. We'll see what the top 10 looks like. I don't know. Because um, this summer of the transfer window may go back to normal and you may have... You know, the likes of Stoke suddenly deciding, okay, well, this is the summer transfer window to go and spend 25 million, etc. But I think the other person I want to mention is is Lee Bromby again, who is, mm-hmm. as head of football operations, has taken some. Um, it, it, like some some decisions that in the short term a lot of fans have have not liked, but in the longer term have really paid off. And I think you have to. You have to say that Dean Hoyle has come into the club and he has inherited a really, really good structure and a really good system to to take on to the hopefully what will be the next level. We'll see where they go from here. But I think just that long-term planning and being competent has really engineered them into this situation. And I think what, what has to happen next 
is just more of the same, you know, just to expand that. As you've alluded to, there's a difference between squad recruitment and first team recruitment. They now need to apply the approach to first team recruitment that they have to, to general squad recruitment. And yeah, you know, I they're, they're a year ahead of everyone else, but I also I think it's important to remember they're a year ahead of where they thought they'd be. I know there's one mm-hmm. or two in the club thought playoffs, but I think the general consensus was this season was about being a really safe, steady, mid-table, relatively drama-free season. It's not proved like that for good reasons, but yeah, so they're a little bit ahead of themselves as well. Um, from HTFC Hursty, any word on how we're looking on the contracts front, and specifically it's it's Toffolo and Coroma who've been in negotiations for a long time. Is this just how long things like that take? It can be sometimes, unfortunately. I think we sort of we think of negotiations as, and this isn't sort of based on sort of insider knowledge because they they sort of they keep that kind of thing sort of quite close to their chest for good reason. But I think we sort of, as a general point, I think we sort of think of negotiations as a back and forth and a numbers t- tossed about all over the place. And you know, give me a company car and I'll mm. you know, and we'll knock two k off it and all of these things. It's not how it works sometimes and sometimes it's a case of right well this is our number uh and this is your number and we think our number is fair so you can take our number or you can leave it and that applies sort of both ways you know agents will have numbers in mind in terms of wage bills for for certain players and the club will have a different number in mind and sometimes there's a bit of a game of chicken involved in it where no pun intended yeah, no pun intended, where it's, you know, it's it's who blinks first. And it's not that they're hammering it out and going hammer for tongs. It's just, you know, there's a disparity in the numbers and it's who's going to blink first. And, you know, I don't know if that's the case with, with Toffolo and Coroma, but I know that from sort of from speaking to colleagues at other clubs, that is the kind of thing that happens with, with contracts, particularly at this level, all the time. And, you know, that's not a, an indictment of Huddersfield Town in any way. You know, Liverpool have got it at the moment with Mo Salah, haven't they? So... Mm. You know, it's it's something that happens and we'll see. We'll see how it goes with those two. Yeah, um, not an awful lot to add to that other than it, like you've got so many people. There's a lot of moving parts in these things is the issue and there's a lot of different opinions as well. And I think, I, I think both players were in their rights to see how this season went in full as well. Yeah, because you have true. to remember last season... We don't like to talk about it for a reason. It it was dreadful for six months. You know, it was awful. So they're they're within their rights, and we'll we'll see what happens on that score. Um, this let, is this, by the way, is why clubs don't tend to say that they're in negotiations with players yeah. over a new contract. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but there you well, go. Well, basically, all clubs are perpetually in negotiations with all of their players for contracts yeah, in effect. Yeah. Because even players who are tied down for three, four years, suddenly when they have a good season, guess what happens? <laughs> you get a knock on the chairman's door, don't you? So it's just it's just the way of life. Right. Have you got your kid gloves on? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's treat this one with a little bit of respect. Uh thank you, Joe Bentley, uh Chromosomed. Uh, on Twitter for for this particular hot potato, Steve. Without defecating where you eat, are Huddersfield Town fans any grumpier or quicker to enrage than other fans? Sometimes it feels like the case, just hoping to hear a semi-impartial view. Quicker to rage? No. Grumpier? Maybe. (laughs) I would say. So, I did the 
the beat for the Football League paper for sort of 10 years. So I covered all the Yorkshire clubs at various points and they all have a slightly different character. Yeah. Um, the grumpiest are definitely Bradford City, um, without a shadow of a doubt. But I think town are not far off that, to be honest. I think it's a West Yorkshire thing. I think it's, you know, I think it's a quite a, a dour... Um, personality sort of a dour culture and i don't mean dour as like a everyone's a miserable get but you know i think it's it's not quick to excitement i think is probably the the nicer way of putting it um whereas obviously leeds united you know that they have rightly or wrongly that big club mentality and they they treat themselves like they're like they're liverpool (laughs) Mm. uh even though we know they're not and Sheffield United are sort of halfway there as well, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I th- I think I don't think there's more outrage at Huddersfield Town than than other clubs. Although we have talked before about how they can be a bit up and down, mm. um, just because. And we always sort of put that down to Town haven't had a mi- have had like one or two mid table seasons in the last thirty years. Mm. So just things being sort of steady and normal and you know steady away and just fine um is not sort of in the makeup of a town fan <laughs> everything has to be either great or terrible because the reality is that over the past 30 years most of their seasons have been either great or terrible mm. i don't town, town fans don't do sort of real naked anger compared to some clubs i mean i i've done i've written on other clubs and i've done games at other clubs and there are definitely clubs that are quicker to anger but it is i think town fans do like a, a bit of a grump sometimes it would be fair to say we yeah. we're not i don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that because football is is based in emotion that's literally why we yeah. why we do it um and it, like this is not me and Steve having a Windsor and moan about it. It's just it's borne out. Well, by we've been our, asked, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, but it's been it's borne out by our figures. So when when Town lose, you know, and it's it's a bad one or Town are on a bad run, we have more people engaged with our stuff, yeah. um, which is it's just the way of the world. But I I think my yeah, I mean when I was writing Football Three Six Five, you know, Wincy always used to say. Uh, the wor- a list of the worst will always do ten times better than a list of the best. The best, yeah. So it's just the nature of it. But my experience is like that of Steve's. Is that Bradford are a lot grumpier, <laughs> a mm. lot grumpier, and they have the same mentality of we're not going to be angry, but we are going to whinge and moan <laughs> about it. And they are far worse than town fans. Far worse than town fans for that. I think Leeds fans do have a little bit more of the anger. If I'm brutally honest. But I yeah, think that that comes from that bigger club mentality. You know, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea fans, for instance, are very quick to anger <sighs> when you mention their club in even the slightest negative sense. But I, I don't think town fans are... I think they are... Like, generally, this is not blowing me and you blowing smoke up anyone's bums either. I think town fans are generally very easy to write for and very easy to deal with. You know, there are some fan yeah. bases and some local club journos who it really is quite difficult and there are several lines they have to walk. And, and me and you are not like that at all. We We are... I think we have a good relationship with the fans to be brutally honest with you and I think hopefully yeah I think the fans now have a better relationship with the club I think there's still a little way to go but I think you know obviously success success breeds happiness and I think that's 
the reality of where we are at the moment. And and I think sort of you know we did a poll about how do you feel about Dean Hoyle taking over the club, and the response was overwhelmingly mm. we're optimistic about the future. And I'm sure that results on the pitch are part of that. But I also think. Uh, not to say Phil Hodgkinson never did anything wrong because he did, but I think he almost, as as we've talked about before, not to I won't stay on this too long because we banged on about it previously, but I think he became emblematic of Town's decline just because of the timing of his takeover and the circumstances of his takeover. And I think sort of having Dean back is sort of a you know I think is is the puts the club in a much better position. Uh, first of all, so I'm not saying it doesn't. Uh, I, I think the club are in a much better position under Dean Hoyle than they were under Phil Hodgkinson. But um, I think it's also just, it feels like that sort of little mini era, that sort of three years has, has been put firmly in the past now. Like last season feels like a, like it was five years ago at this yeah. point almost. The, the only, just before we move on, because um, we've, we've got to rattle through these, but the other thing I would say is that me and Steve can't just write articles all the time that everyone's going to agree with <laughs> doesn't work yeah. like that and like when we report the news the news is always factual and correct when because we're talking to the club we're talking to people involved so we're telling you exactly what's going on but we also have to offer opinion we have to offer analysis we have to offer predictions and I literally did an article at the weekend about things we've got wrong this season we're the only two people paid on a weekly basis to offer our opinions about Huddersfield Town mm-hmm. we're not going to get everything right you're not going to like everything we write but you need to understand that everything we do we're trying our hardest with and we understand that the football club is a big thing it's a big important emotional thing in this town and we try to represent both sides as best we can I I think that I think town fans that is does touch on something with the character of town fans is it's much more of a local club than yeah than, a, than a Leeds, for it, instance, or even, a, she- or even a Sheffield town. Wednesday. It is, to be honest. it is genuinely at the heart of this town. That's yeah. that's the thing, um, and I think that's why sometimes we feel the weight of it a little bit, you know, because <laughs> we wanna we wanna do the best job we can, really. Um, Danny Bell, thirty-two. What's David Hartrick's ideas for ticketing? The mystery <laughs> and intrigue has stayed with me for this part. Do I go on record with this or not, Steve? Yeah, I think so. Right. Okay. With, with the caveat that you know that you are being It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen in never in a million years. But basically, I think that there is there are issues with ticketing and with football's addiction to season tickets. And I, I would get rid of season tickets. I would have a minimal fee of, I don't know, 40 quid, something like that, that allows you priority access in terms of, you know, 24-hour access or something along those lines. Um, and then I would make the tickets cheaper for each game and get try to work on getting it, an engaged crowd in who have bought their chip you know their ticket cheaply who are coming in rather than a lot of these ghost stadiums where you have 20,000 season ticket holders and the attendance is is regularly announced as 21,000 etc etc and you go in and you go there's 11,000 people here <laughs> you know there's massive empty spaces and i think doing it that way could give you a lot more scope for promotions for getting um you know local schools etc things like that involved but football clubs are way too addicted to the dopamine hit of season ticket sales in the summer they are so structured around that money coming in at the summer that it's just never going to happen 
but I just think season tickets can be quite prohibitive. And this is not just me saying this. Stephen, explain your experience trying to get tickets for a Liverpool away game. <laughs> it's impossible. Literally impossible. I mean, to, for a home game, it's impossible at the moment, to be honest. Unless you know someone who's a season ticket holder who has a spare that you can buy off them for a game because they've gone away for the weekend or whatever, it's impossible to get in. But, I mean... I think the, as you say, the, the, they rely on it for the cash flow. They need that massive mm. income uh, in the summer. Um, the other downside I can see with it, Dave, is that if you have a season like Town had last year, who's going to be yeah. turning up? You know, <laughs> like the, it, it, it's it, uh, my reaction to that though is you are merely you are merely forcing the club to act competently and run, a, you know, mm. and try to be successful. That's that's the thing. Yeah. But three clubs have to be relegated every year, Dave, is the thing. They do, they do. But, you know, if you're in that bracket for... There, there are there are yeah. very uh, there are very obvious reasons for relegation and not all of them, weird as it is to say, say it, weirdly not all of them are bad. There are perfect examples of teams that have used relegation to bounce back into leagues and come back stronger. There are other circumstances that have just been out of, of other clubs' control that have seen them get relegated. You've seen a club like Town who were never supposed to get promoted to the Premier League, then were never supposed to stay up. It's just caught up with them second season, you know, and it's mm-hmm. just caused a collapse. There are, it's not just because everything is crap that you get relegated all the time. That's true. Um, so, I and just, I think what we say at the moment anyway is if you have a bad season, then the season ticket sales for the following year collapse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, well, and then, they, this is it. And, and then you can't afford to go to every game because. And, and the other side is. The season ticket sales at the moment. I've I've got a lot of friends who are very seriously considering the season ticket next year because they've bought their season ticket, but Town are doing the promotions on tickets, which are very good and a worthwhile thing to do to fill the stadium. But they are genuinely wondering with the amount of games they've actually come to this year, which is not every game because the season tickets are so cheap that it makes it quite easy to miss a game if they want to and still feel like they've had value overall. But they've looked around and seen a lot of the promotion that's happened and thought, do you know what? It may be better to just pick and choose my games next year. And when there's a promotion on, I'll take advantage of that because they see that, you know, continuing. So it's a complicated issue. Nobody will be with me. I am well aware I am an island on this. But I would. the reality is I'd do away with season tickets. I'd have a membership scheme that was really cheap and I would have cheaper tickets with the aim of trying to fill that stadium with engaged fans every week. There you go. There we go. Um, HTFC Dreams, we've already answered your question. I forgot to mention you earlier, but it was which young players on loan or academy will have a strong chance of breaking into the first team next season. Uh, Greg Sykes, the Scout data you occasionally reference... Who are town standard bearers in each metric outside of goals exists and how do they stack up against the best of the league in each category? It's a big question this because it requires quite a lot of research but I think just just pull out a couple of players who are always top of various lists and I'll do the same Steve. Yeah, so I mean, Lewis O'Brien for tackles and Lewis O'Brien for dribbles. Um, yeah. He's always he's always right up there, not just for town, but in the championship in general, particularly for his position. Uh, I think he's sort of at or near the top of the tackles list for any position, mm. and for central midfielders, he's sort of you know right near the top for the the dribbles. Uh, Sorber Thomas for key passes yeah. and assists is right up there. Um, I think. Uh, 
is it Tom Lees is excellent on the headers, isn't yes, he? Yes, he is, yeah. He's he's actually I think if you look he's top ten on a load of defensive metrics. Um he he's Something was pulled out on Twitter this week. I noticed that was was doing the rounds for Tom Lee's. But basically, I think the lo- <laughs> like we're not dismissing this question, but genuinely, I would say there's about twelve town players who are effectively in the top fifteen across the league on almost every metric. You know, Lee Nichols is top of nearly every goalkeeping one. If he's not topping them, he's second or at most third. Uh, Levi is is really high on a load of defensive metrics, isn't he? Yeah. Lees and Pearson are really high. O'Brien is a Premier League player. If you look at his yeah. stats model, he's yeah. a Premier League player. Thomas, um, Danny Ward. If you if you look at Danny Ward's stats, I did a little bit of this in a conclusions piece the other week, but. If you look at Danny Ward's stats in terms of the conversion rates and the chances he gets compared to a Mitrovic, a Solanke, he's actually like bang on par with them. He's, yeah. he's genuinely on par with them. It's just that Town don't platform him like Blackburn do Ben Brereton-Diaz or Bournemouth do Dominic Solanke. The infamous scouting report we did when he signed, when I looked at sort of his shot conversion rate, so how many of his shots find the net and how many of his shots on target find the net I think on both of them he was second in the league in the championship mm. um, out of any out of any player uh, behind Naki Wells weirdly yeah. that season so uh, you know his his yeah. finishing is exceptional you've got to understand that for, he's had so many shots for his 13 goals like Alexander Mitrovic is not far off having had about double for the amount of goals he's got yeah. you know it's it's and everybody above him in the scoring chart has had more shots. Everybody above him. So, you know, he's doing phenomenally well. So, Well, yeah, it is more than double. In fact, Mitrovic has uh, four and a half shots per game. Danny Ward has two. Yeah. But, yeah, we, we no longer, unfortunately, as a company, we no longer have access to Y-Scout. Um, so we're using a lot of who scored, um, which the, well, the main I d- downside I, of which... Go on. I, I Well, not, not to... Not to I mean, I've got no dog in this fight, but I don't actually use who scored at all. There you go. Well, it's who scored is uh, is up to data, so it it, it comes yeah. from the same place. But uh, the main, I just want to mention the Boy Scout thing because we used to do the. Some people might notice the five conclusions this year is a lot less sort of tactical and uses a lot less screenshots than it used to, particularly last season. And there's there's sort of there's two reasons for that. One is that there's less to say tactically because obviously last year Carlos was brand new. Um, uh, but also uh, a lot of those screenshots and things it was dead easy for us to go in on Scout and get you could just say show me all of a player's shots or all of a player's crosses or whatever it would be and it would just play you the video clips one after the other of like 20 second clips showing you each shot and pass and cross and etc uh, and we don't have an equivalent to do that anymore which is a bit of a pain but if you were wondering why we don't do as much of that stuff anymore that's why yeah i i the site i tend to use is actually fbref.com um which is a phenomenal site um that 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 would be one of the main reasons i'd look forward to town getting promoted to the premier league because you get mm. another layer of stats again on top of uh on top of what you get for the championship i've i've nothing against who scored personally it's just fbref is far easier to use easier to navigate and their comparison tool where you can pick a player and you can compare against any of his contemporaries is is fantastic um couple of quick ones steve uh 
at Jules Brown 4 and this it's quick but I think it's important uh, one John Russell size Lewis O'Brien or five mm. Lewis O'Brien size John Russell who's wins yeah. in a fight I saw this earlier and it's obviously one John Russell size Lewis O'Brien you reckon yeah no I'm not, I'm I, not. It's the, right they always say it's not the size of the dog in the fight it's the size of the fight in the dog right and Lewis O'Brien has a lot of fight in a little dog so if you transplant that into a big dog then you've got to win it. Although it's five, isn't it? Yeah, it's five. five. Is five is a lot. Five's it's not two or three. Five is yeah, a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm not really a fighter. I, I will concede, but I think fighting five people is is more difficult than fighting <laughs> one. <laughs> and to be yeah, but to be fair, I don't know. I I was going to say is John Russell a bit too meek, but then he almost you know he he did get into it with uh, with someone at a game recently. Did it was it. Mm. I can't remember which game it was. Was it Stoke? Yeah. Anyway, uh, or Cardiff, one or the other. It was Cardiff. Yeah, it was Aidan Flint. He went head-to-head with Aidan Flint. It was brilliant. It was like watching a Godzilla film. It was amazing. So the answer to that one is we don't know. Uh, Well, I think you're saying it's the five Lewis O'Brien slash John Russells, which I think is ridiculous, but there you go. Yeah, I am, and I'm sticking to it. Um, Another quick one from Brady Frost at Radio894. Never heard of him. Uh, Yeah. From the current squad, which player do you think is most likely to have a career in punditry after their playing days? Ooh, well, Harry Toffolo is the obvious one, but he's one of those people who I could see him doing pretty much anything <laughs> in the game, so it's whether he would want to do punditry. But I think if if Harry Toffolo wanted a career in punditry, he could absolutely have one. He's one of the best talkers, not just in the town squad, but like in all of football. He's one of the best talkers, and any journalist will tell you that. Like Whenever we have... Terry Toffolo for a presser we will then sort of there'll be like a five minute gap before Carlos comes out and every time we get Harry Toffolo every all the journalists are just like oh he's good isn't he Harry Toffolo he's great great talker we were told he was as well like when he came from Lincoln that was like before anyone talked about his play and they would talk about what a great talker he was so I think he's probably got a future if he wants uh Fraser Campbell I think is a pretty good talker as well to be fair uh I'm gonna go for Matty Pearson who I love uh, just because it would be interesting <laughs> to hear him talk unfiltered on any subject you ever mention to him, and God bless him for that. I do love the man. He he could be like the EFL Roy Keane pundit, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah. He he will tell you exactly what he thinks. Trust me. Um, Clive Wilkinson at Clive Wilkos Wilkinso fifteen. Can you see Tino making an impact for us in the last few games? Not seen much from him so far. Potentially, but I mean, it's always just potentially, isn't it? With any loan signings, isn't it? That's yeah. that's the big issue. We oh, were we were both. Yeah. I think, hand on heart, Tino Andrin, in terms of raw talent, is genuinely in the top percentile in this squad right now. The problem is his fitness. We were both expecting him to be a little bit further on than he yeah, is, and he yeah. he. I think the issue is, and the thing we would not argue with any town fan is, at the moment he doesn't look like he could play an hour, never mind ninety minutes. Um, and that is the issue, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, I mean, what Carlos Corbran has said is that he he expects that Tino will be able to play more football after the international break. You know, they're mm. trying to sort of but manage has, his minutes. But he has gone away for the international break. Well, this is it. Yeah, I was about England to say. under 20s. Which seems ridiculous. Obviously, Town have no control over it. If you mm. get called up, you get called up. And if you don't send them, you get fined. So, you know, they've got no choice on it. But it seems remarkable to me that he has gone away with England under 20s. Yeah. Um, you know, that not very... A bit counterproductive, if I'm brutally honest. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean... 
As far as I can tell, he's you know he didn't even play the other night. I don't think he was even in the squad. So why? why is that I <laughs> but, I think that my take on Tino is let's see if if he can get yeah. fit before the end. That he's he's very very talented footballer, very talented yeah. footballer. But you know, he he could make a huge difference when you look at what he can mm. do on the ball and you watch the clips of him playing and you know you talk you know you talk to people at Chelsea who have seen him play and you know he could have a huge impact but that is not the same as saying he will have a huge impact mm. and you just have to hope but yeah hopefully he, I mean, he's, oh, it, do you think there's an argument for town just to look after him in terms of fitness nutrition everything else get him as fit as they can over the next month to six weeks and not worry whether that means he makes an impact. Just say, look, we've done all this for you. Can we have him next yeah, season? Yeah. Do you think that yeah. could be the better Yeah, definitely. Option? Could be, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that doesn't do any harm. Or if not him, you know, yeah. the next Levi Cole will. <laughs> yeah. um, we've got one from uh, at Poffy Mouse. We seem to have become very, predict- it says predicament, but I assume he means predictable. Uh, again, and we'll... all right, calling him out for his typos, are you, Mister Mister Five Auto Complete Mistakes a Day? Is calling out someone else for a typo? Yeah, well, you know, I have I have excuses for mine. Um, we seem to be getting very predictable again. And Millwall have putting us away with ease. Do you think we should be using Rhodes or Caroma more? I'm just going to come in and say I don't think predictability has been the issue. I think tiredness has been the issue. I yeah. think they look mentally and physically before the international break. They look done in. Let's have a look at them after the international break to see if they're done for the season or if they can get themselves back going. We're all hoping they can get themselves back going. I don't think you need to... Like, I understand saying, oh, do you think we need to lose road to Karoma? Or you did just go 17 league games unbeaten. Like, you know, I know you've lost two, but technically you've lost two in 19. <laughs> so I I think it's just a case of let's see if they've got back on the horse after the international break mentally. I don't think they're taking heroin. Behave. <laughs> um, no, I think... Uh... Karomi, yes. Rhodes, no. I'm quite comfortable with that, with Jordan Rhodes' role at the moment. Um, unless you wanted to play him in a front two, which I, I do find... I know there's some games where you want to have a front like Fulham, where you want a front two, where it's like Danny Ward plus a presser. Um, we talked about this last week, so I won't bang on about it, but I think there's some, some games where you could probably play Rhodes and Ward together and just have two proper centre-forwards, but there you go. Uh, I think Karoma could play more, yeah. I... I, I I think predictability is a factor, to be honest, just in terms of, like, obviously tiredness is like, you know, if if I was stacking up, would be a pile 10 times as high as, as the predictability. But I do think it was easy for Millwall and Bournemouth to to do their well, homework we, and set up. We, we, we talked said about this on last the week, Millwall we? game that we've been waiting for a side to do exactly what Millwall yeah, did. Exactly. And basically Bournemouth just ripped that template straight off, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. So I think in that respect, mixing the team up could sort of scupper other teams' plans a little bit. But yeah, I agree. Tiredness is, is by far the bigger factor for me than predictability. But I think that it comes down to the same thing, though, mm. which is you can involve more players. And I've written about this extensively, so I won't bang on about it too much. But, you know, you've got players like Pippa, Ruffles, Iting, and uh, Karoma is the big one, though. Karoma, because Kar- yeah. We know Karoma can be a match winner, don't we? We, yeah. we know that. So I... I'm with you. I think Rhodes know because I don't don't compromise what Danny Ward's doing. But Karoma, yeah, yeah. Come on, Huddersfield Town, you've got 44 legs. Use them. <laughs> um, 
question here from Richard Cosmala. Friend of yours? Uh, I've heard of him. Um, Cosy asks, if the transfer window was open now and you had to sign a supplier for the running, which position would it be and why? And that's assuming you'd do it at all. Hmm. Uh, I'll go. Uh, while you think, I'll go first on this one. And... The answer probably isn't what you're expecting, as I've been a little bit resistant to it. But goalkeeper, <laughs> um, I would I'd sign a striker because I think it's quite clear that Corberan wants to go to up top in certain games. Rhodes and Ward, I don't think work as a two, so he's having to do it with a Sorba Thomas, a Dan Alsnani, a Lewis O'Brien, all of whom are okay, but do specific things well but not the whole thing well and I think if uh, this isn't me saying they must sign a striker Hartrick in town must sign striker shock but if you were to say okay you can go and sign one player now I would get somebody who can dovetail a bit with Ward and and base I think what it is is Corbin wants to change the way they attack a little bit and put a little bit more pressure on the defence they're facing centrally because Ward for all his excellent work, and he is brilliant, and I have waxed lyrical about him this season, when you do play one man centrally, it does make your outballs quite easy. You know, we see Danny Ward running tirelessly, tr- tirelessly trying to close down two or three players sometimes. And I think having a two-man press up there, but also two men to look for in certain attacking mm. situations, just changes the shape a little bit and just opens up a few more options so which is one of the reasons I think coming back to something that you said about signing a younger striker I think over the summer getting a striker in who can dovetail with Ward for next season oh, yeah. would be one of quite high up on my list I think. it would be top of my list like mm. a, a younger Ward and a younger Hoggy would be my two yeah top priorities uh for the for the running, the the I think that's a better answer than I've got actually. But my initial thought was actually two positions that could be solved by Tino Andrin, which is left wing and centre midfield, like a, a, a more penetrative centre midfielder, sort of a, a another Lewis O'Brien, but for the other side because they've got two passes in in uh, well three passes in Iting and Russell and High, but I don't think they have anyone with that level of penetration that Lewis O'Brien has. Um, and well, four really because Sinani as well. So I don't think they've got another Lewis O'Brien for the other side. Uh, well, so and then left wing just because I think you know Karoma's underperforming and I think Holmes has done a good job, but I think he's he looks like a converted he, he midfielder. Does, he, rather he does than a, a specific job, doesn't he? Yeah, that's exactly. the, that's the thing. He does a specific job and he does that specific job really, really well. And there are some games where you need that really specific job more than others that's the problem yeah. isn't it it's not Dwayne Holm, Dwayne Holmes's fault that in some games you know he does the same thing but it's not as required or as vital as it yeah. is in others but I think those are two positions where Tino Andring could play and make an impact but as again could is not the same as Will and I think he does need to sort of show something at this point but we'll see okay so I've, I've got I've got four questions. This is what we talked about earlier. They're all along a similar line, but one talks about promotion and one talks about the the, the, the what may happen regardless of promotion. So I think we'll cover the promotion side first. So we've got Jonathan Dyson at Jonathan Dyson fourteen, uh, Jack McSherry, uh, JM Sherry fourteen, uh, Marky Kilroy, um, who all basically are slight variations on the same thing, which is. 
if Town were to get promoted, how many players do they need or where do they need to strengthen or how do they even approach strengthening? I think for strengthening, you just... Well, I think it's the positions that we've already said. The positions they need if they were to stay in the championship. Uh, so centre-forwards and you know defensive midfield. and But I think you almost need to sort of add a new player in each role, don't you? You know, someone who's who's got that. But I think it's a bit of a red herring, this question as well, because uh, I think if they do get promoted, their first objective needs to be to build a team that can get promoted again. <laughs> because that is what they failed to do last time and why they ended up in such a... You know, it's taken them three years to to unravel the mess they were left with um, from the last time they were in the Premier League. I think they need to make sure that... Because they're not, you know, even if they were to stay in the Premier League for five years, um, you're going to come down at some point and I think you need to be ready for when you come down so you don't end up in a situation where it takes you two years to see out the contracts of players who don't want to be there who are earning too much money. (laughs) I I get slightly torn on this because I look at I look at what Norwich did first time, okay, which is get promoted and then build a side that could win the following year's championship, and I completely see the sense in that. And ultimately, it paid off because they built a side that could win the next year's championship after relegation, and that's exactly what they did. And Norwich last season were one of the best sides I've ever seen in the championship. You know, Wendy they did was, all right against Town, didn't they? Yeah, but I, I mean, as a whole, I covered them quite a lot. And Wendy, I, I genuinely think is one of the best players I've ever mm. seen play in the championship. I thought he was phenomenal. But the problem is they've sort of done that again this season and I think the issue is that if Town were to get promoted and do what you say, they've then got to kick on from that because I know I I actually have um, some Norwich acquaintances and fans and they are pretty desperately unhappy with what's happened this season because there's been no progression and they actually feel that the side they've got now is worse than the side they went up with last year and you can they feel they're getting caught a little bit in a sort of endless cycle because they can't they're going to come down into the championship next year they're going to have high expectations again dean smith at the helm very good squad but what do they do how what what is going to be different yeah. next time they go up so i think i can totally see the sense if town got promoted in in doing that and not going mad but i think it's more important what you said if I'm brutally honest is it's to not go and sign six players on three to four year contracts on money that the club is not necessarily comfortable with because if it goes wrong it goes spectacularly wrong as we've seen and it's a three-year hangover yeah not a I season's think worth you're fine to sign a Steve Mounier who will yeah. even if you go down give his all what you don't want to do is sign a <laughs> who doesn't want to play championship football, doesn't want to be there, wants to be in the Premier League. Well, I'm not even sure he wants to bother with the... He, well, <laughs> let's let's not be libelous, but there are some no. players who want Just to be that, footballers. Cut that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some players who want to... Isn't there? That's, that's, the, that's the model of play mm. you want to avoid like the plague. Yeah, and I think that actually... I know what you're saying about Norwich. I think Norwich is actually a really good aspiration for town to have at this stage. The problem is, is that once you've done it, like the, mm. you know, how many times have Norwich bounced back now? Is this their third spell in? How yeah, many I think years? it's is it their third spell in last decade? But it, yeah. they, the, you know, they weirdly. Once, once, 
they stated with Farker that they were going to get promoted with the aim of trying to stay up, but realistically preparing for relegation mm-hmm. to then go again and be in a better position. And the problem is, they've done all that, but they're not in a better position right now. That's the yeah. reality. That's it. You need to. There comes a certain point where you need to have a bit more ambition than that. Mm-hmm. But I think right now that is a really good ambition for Town to have is to to become that sort of that yo-yo team um, and maybe maybe look to bounce up into the Premier League mm. and back a couple of times. But once you've done it, you know, once you've done it, once you're in there the third time, that I think is when you really need to be. Yeah, I, I We're think going for this now. West Brom are the other club that you look at that have mm. bounced for... Over the last 15 seasons, they've been a, a, a bouncing side, okay? And they are getting to the point where they're fed up with it because their fans are struggling to stay engaged with even a a successful championship season now knowing that the next year is going to be like absolute drudgery well because but this is the West Brom pattern they've been doing this Mm. for years and years Mm. you know they they have a a progressive manager and then they panic and replace them with a Tony Pulis or an Alan Pardew or a Sam Allardyce or a Steve Bruce or a Roy Hodgson all of whom have actually been West Brom manager over the past 15 years 10 years even so yeah I I think credit to town for you know we criticised it at the time and but I think you know going for that progressive Farker style manager and trying to sort of have a philosophy and play your way through the right way is Mm. you know is a good thing and I think this is where the other thing is you know Carlos Corbran continues to do well it's surely only a matter of time before he gets poached um like a rhino and uh <laughs> and so he should avoid safaris is yeah. my point no i think I it's only a matter safaris just as a tangent i, I can't I'm... see any point in a safari it's, it's a safari park do you mean like no, a nose like safari park oh, going fine, on safari yeah going on safari how different are those animals to the ones you see on <laughs> The zoo or in the on the telly there's the same animals it's just much hotter and you've got how, to camp out how different is a wild cheetah to the cat i have in my garden it's oh, i don't see any difference it's no point <laughs> i've got a dog i've seen all the animals it's fine i've got all right. technically i've got a, i've got fish as you know in the pond so i've seen everything <laughs> in the sea as well there's no there's no difference it's just hotter dustier and you don't sleep as well anyway over here I think what they need is, I really hope that Town have a succession plan in place for Carlos Gorbran and that they constantly have a list of three, four managers who they really like the look of, who they think they could get, because that's what Swansea used to do. Swansea always sort of knew Mm. who their, or had an idea who they wanted their next manager to be, and that was how they had, and it was only when sort of they, again, panicked um, and moved away from that that they got themselves into the situation they're in now but they had a lot of success from from league one level um for for a long time you know won a trophy um an actual trophy imagine that Mm. and uh off the back of having that clear succession plan of managers who all had a similar kind of idea but all brought something different yeah i hope town have got that rather than a west brom get sam allardyce it's not about like being brutally honest here and please town fans let me finish this statement before you you switch it off and throw your throw stuff at me 
Um, there is far more evidence as it stands right now that David Wagner is actually a bad manager than a good manager. Oh, right, okay. Dave, I can't believe you're going here. But that is not because David Wagner is a bad manager, but no. it's because Huddersfield Town provided him the perfect set of circumstances. They gave him yeah. the level of control he needed and he did a phenomenal job at the club. And other clubs haven't provided him that. And yeah. what I'm saying by this is that it's not, just about Huddersfield Town going and finding a right manager. It's about creating the environment where a Carlos Corbran, where a David Wagner can do their best work and can work with a little bit of freedom and the recruitment is feeds exactly into what they need. So if you look at, going back to the question, if they went up into the Premier League, you really have to work very closely with Carlos Corbran and say, okay, what what is your aim for this season? What are your goals? Where do you think? How do you want to change your lines of attack? How do you want to defend? What type of profile player do you need? Now, the honest answer may be everyone. <laughs> you know, I need yeah. I need twenty two new players. Everyone. That's, that's not realistic. Okay, we, but you know, at the same time. If you're going up to the Premier League, the gap is massive. It's huge. It is gargantuan. And, like, you you can't... As much as we love them, you know, and I do love Matty Pearson dearly, but you couldn't have a Pearson and Lees back to in the Premier League because they would... People would just run by them all the time. Yeah, Um, yeah. So, you, there are so much to consider that I think, really, you just have to, in town's position do exactly what we've said which is is effectively plan to win the following year's championship but yeah we'll see we'll see i mean who knows the, it, these are nice problems potentially to have aren't they this is yeah. this is the thing um and, and on the wagner point before you get strung up in the st george's square um i think a lot of the time with managers it's it's less about whether you're a good or bad manager and more about whether you're a good or bad fit for that club so like Brendan Rodgers failed at Watford (laughs) before he sort of then found success at Swansea and you know there's there's lots of managers who have got that weird Mm. blip on their CV where it just hasn't worked out for whatever reason and you know I think it's and then there'll be other times where every you know there's even other managers who we you wouldn't particularly speak of very highly who it's the perfect place for them. You know, we sort of joked about Sam Allardyce there, but Sam Allardyce at, at uh, Bolton and Blackburn, they were great clubs for him. They mm. were the perfect clubs for Th- him. This is what and I it mean. Worked. It's... Sean Dyche at Burnley, you know, might not succeed somewhere else, but he's mm. been enormously it's... successful. This is what I mean. It, it's not just that David Wagner was a very good manager. It's that the, the, the town provided him the context and the circumstances to mm-hmm. do it. And, like if if town get Pep Guardiola tomorrow, but they don't work with him in terms of the squad, and they don't give him the freedom they needs, and they put an immense amount of pressure from the off, any club who does that is madness anyway. So what town really need to do is keep doing what they're doing. It's that long term planning again. It's about being a competently run club on and off the pitch. It's exactly as you said, Steve. It's knowing the sort of first four names on the list that if Carlos Corbran went tomorrow, you would potentially go to I, I don't, I'm just pulling a name out of the air but somebody who impressed us enormously it's like you you go well Russell Martin is the one that we know comes yeah. and fits into our structure absolutely perfectly and yeah you know I, I think that David Wagner will have success somewhere else you know he's too good a manager not to 
but it, what is clear now is he's not found a club that have given him the structure he needs to make that happen. That's that's mm. the reality. So town need to become a club where managers can come and enhance and and better. You know, where instead of one where, like West Brom, where your job is to go in and just do the best job with what you've got right now. It's not about mm. next week. It's not about last this week. Weird it's just about of, today. You this know? weird assembly of players that we've got. Yeah. And I think with Wagner, you know, you only need to look at what Schalke did before and after Wagner to see he Precisely. was responsible for that. And we're young boys. <sighs> They were never going to give him the time. You know, I think he is a manager who needs time. And having won the league by 30 points last year, he was never going to get time there, was he? Yeah. So to sort of answer all those questions again, it's basically the recruitment just has to be in line with what the club's future vision is and where Carlos Corbran is and not a load of... I'm not going to use the word mercenaries because it's not the right word, but not a load of players who are coming for four years without the understanding that three of those years could realistically not be in the Premier League. That's you're, that's the reality. You're genuinely better off not signing anyone than spending £10 million yeah. on a player oh, yeah. who then yeah. ends up on under contract for the next three years and you can't get a fee for him. Yeah. Um, so the, the very final aspect of this is Joe Morgan asked a, a sort of similar question, but also included... Uh, you know next season we've got a good team with additions and minimal sales we could do well again next season we'd miss O'Brien if sold who would be hard to replace any money received should be reinvested but if regardless of promotion so we'll say without promotion what do you think and where in terms of let's just pick a couple of specifics team wise that if if Town are to recruit next season I know we've talked about strikers etc but I think we'll probably let's talk about the Lewis O'Brien issue because we would love him to be at the club next season, wouldn't we? Yeah, like yeah. every town fan would. But the issue is he's a Premier League player. Yeah, <laughs> he like any model statistical model you put over him, he's a Premier League player. There will be interest this summer. There's no denying that. We don't know. We haven't got any inside word. We don't know if he's going. No, don't it's too go, early. Don't shout at us or go on at us. But if he went. How do you begin to replace a Lewis O'Brien, Steve? I think you almost sort of rebuild the midfield, don't you? And, mm. you know, it's. I think you can't replace him directly. You know, it, you can't go and buy a player that has the stats he has. And I think it would almost be daft to <laughs> to to even try in, in a certain mm. respect. Obviously, you want players that have aspects of what he can do but I think you sort of you see it as an opportunity to go right Carlos Gilbran has been working with this midfield for the last couple of years knowing that he had Lewis O'Brien starting with a blank slate what would he want his what attributes does he want his midfield to have because you can at the moment build that midfield around him but you know what was what is the platonic ideal of the Carlos Gilbran midfield and you go and do that because they really have an opportunity to do that at this stage because you know we talked about hockey sort of you know, winding down, we think they need to sign his replacement. Carolite is out of contract at the end of the year. Danel Sanani's loan is expiring. Not sure if they're going to take the option on him or not. Dwayne Holmes, they're mostly playing on the wing. Um, and if Louis O'Brien went, then you know you, you've got sort of John Russell and Scott High and mm. and and Jonathan Hogg, and sort of that's about it. So you've got the the possibility there of building a completely new midfield in the same way that they've built a new defence this season so I think that is sort of an avoidance of the question because I know you kind of want names but I think that would be the approach I would take to it yeah 
I I don't have any names for you. I I am before the end of the season. We are both going to have to look into it, Steve, because I have a feeling that it will be the question most asked in the yeah. first couple of weeks after the season ends. So we're going to have to cover it more definitively. I completely concur with everything you've said about Lewis O'Brien, but I think the other things are, one, you need to commit the greater part of that money to replacing him potentially with two players um, Mm -hmm. because of the the gap he leaves. And I think you've got to recruit for the first team. You can't Mm -hmm. recruit a project player. You can't recruit anybody who needs a bit of time. It's got to be somebody who's fresh out the box, ready to go. And I think if we just open this up to a wider look at the summer Steve you've got backup keeper to make a decision on that's fine no issue um, mm-hmm. you can sort that in a breath Levi Colwell going is going to be a blow okay yeah. so you've you've got a gap there there may be issue with potentially you know Pip has not played a lot this season we're sure we again no inside knowledge but he probably won't be happy with that he's too good a player to be happy with that so we don't know if they might need to look there they need midfield recruitment quite a lot you've talked about that younger striker I think a right winger I'm not sure if Sonani's done enough to to justify the transfer fee if I'm honest if you feel like you could get an upgrade depends what the fee would be wouldn't it yeah, but also it depends if you feel like you can pluck another Sorba Thomas from somewhere, doesn't it? You yeah. know, if you if you think we'll just we'll put faith in someone else. So there's a promotion or no promotion. Do you think it's fair to say it's potentially quite a, a big summer again? I think they need that left winger as well because uh, yeah. I think I think Josh Groma needs sort of more competition and uh, they need an option who is more like Josh Groma than mm. than Dwayne Holmes I think um but I think it's not quite as big a summer as last year but I would as I said I think I would be looking at doing to the midfield mm. this summer what they did the, to the, to the defense, defense last yeah. year where which is you know signing a Matty Pearson and a Tom Lees who you know are seasoned um championship players who can do the job you know they can do the job because you've seen them do it uh and a Levi Colwell, who is, you know, one of the best young players the Premier League could possibly have sent them. And I think that's what they need to do in, in midfield for next year. And I think, as I say, I think I would go for the stri- the striker and the hockey replacement first. But I think as soon as, you know, you got an offer that was acceptable for Lewis O'Brien, you need to be ready with two or three players and go, right, bang, 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 they're in the door now. I mean, you could even, you could, there's nothing to stop you from doing them before that, I suppose. But I think they've, I don't know how much... The thing is, is that last season they had a lot of leeway with the budget because they'd had so many players like Pritchard and Schindler, and I apologise for speaking them in the same breath, but <laughs> Pritchard and Schindler and Mbenza left the club who were on big wages, and that allowed them a lot of leeway. I'm not sh- sure how much wiggle room they will have this year, um, and and that is me saying I'm genuinely not sure because the parachute payments end, but then Dean Hoyle is in a better position than Phil Hodgkinson mm. was sort of financially to support the club if need be, and we know he's sort of willing to do that. So um, I'm, I'm I'm actually not sure where they are financially in terms of that, but maybe they can't do the the level of overhaul they did last year. But I don't think they need to. I think what was it last year? They had what was it eight signings? Yeah, I think sort of. Eight Four. signings, and I think actually, I think you, I think we have to say nine because although they said John Russell was one for the mm-hmm. B team, it was always clear he was on a path to the first team, isn't it? Now, in yeah. retrospect, I think uh, three, four quality signings plus replacements for whoever leaves mm. uh, would, 
in fact probably less than that two three quality signings plus replacements for whoever leaves would would do the job for them i think right we've got through it then all questions answered um scuba diving that's also rubbish just looking at fish uh steve you are <laughs> at Stephen chicken uh and you are we are both looking forward to the international break being over yes uh, I am at Although we've still got ten days after the whole game before the, yeah. before we play Luton, so it's almost like a, a brief respite from the international break. I I am at David Hartrick. Uh, we will be back next week with a normal pod, looking back at the whole game, and it's a pretty big game that one. It would be fair to say, and we will be previewing what is a going to be a huge eight days in Huddersfield Town season after that. So, are you off to read the long Halloween? <laughs> You've been looking up Batman comics. Yeah, Long Halloween would be top five, but it wouldn't okay. be top one for me. Wouldn't be top one. What's top one? <sighs> Morrison's run on Batman is just untouchable for me. Don't get me started because I will go on about it, but it's just untouchable for me. But I still think about Nightfall a lot because that was the first proper event comic I read, and I still read that about once a year. Hmm. Yeah, if you want me, just come back to me in a half an hour. I'll be busy thinking things. Right, thanks for joining us. Thanks for all your questions. We had a great response to this one. We were we were really chuffed to see how many people had yeah, wanted our time. opinion yeah, thank on you. these things. So thanks a lot, and we shall see you all next week. Goodbye. Peace and love. Who's to be? Who's to be?